0: I feel like there are so many amazing women that I can interview for the Together Brave Mom series, and this time I picked a couple that I had my eyes on for a while. I was thinking about doing this series earlier in the year, and it didn't happen, but this time I got in touch with some people I know, some people I just met through Instagram, and wanted to bring them to you because their stories are incredible, I have been just amazed by their everyday acts of bravery. Some are seemingly small. Some are outrightly huge. And some you think, yeah, I think I could do that. And others you think, oh my goodness, there's no way. I I don't know how I could be that courageous to get through what they just went through. But today I'm sharing with you my friend and sorority sister, Rebecca Hutchison Kent. She is the creator of Shit Cookers and Hiccups and lives in Lexington, Kentucky with her three kiddos and their black lab. Rebecca is a recovering alcoholic and has been sober for three and a half years. Her mission is to give hope to other moms struggling with addiction by sharing her story giving hope and teaching others how to give it as well is really the theme and the message of this episode i pray that you sitting here sharing in rebecca's story of strength and courage will bring you exactly that hope come along friend let's grow Welcome to families that stick together Just step right over the random pile of clothes where it looks like all my kids melted. Turn right past the pile of papers still out from last month's school project. Maybe don't look at the sink and make yourself at home, friend. This is where our family of six hangs out. It's where our real life happens. Stay long enough to be reminded of what we both already know that swimming upstream is not without much work and grace, but it does come with friends who are rooting you on just as fiercely as the way you love your strong family. We work together here as friends so we can get to the end knowing we did well. Come along with us to gather together to grow through it all. Welcome, friend, with your laundry, your running shoes, or your cup of coffee. I can't wait to spend my time with you. I also wanted to remind you to listen to episode 78. If you have not, that is the intro to the Together Brave Moms series and how it is built around the book of Joshua and specifically the verse from chapter 1, verse 9. And we're going to jump right into my interview with Rebecca Kent. But I just feel like in today's world, One of the character traits that people are definitely losing is being brave and courageous to stand up Mm -hmm. for what they believe in and go against the norms and stay true to their convictions and what they know they should be doing for themselves and their family and building it all around a foundation of faith. And so many people, I think, are scared to step out and and be bold in that. And God promises us that it's not going to be easy. But I'm gonna keep reminding you, be strong and courageous. And when these obstacles come down your path, it's okay. Like I got you, we can do this, but you have to be strong and courageous. And so that's a personal choice, obviously, as you know. And I I wanted to invite you to share your story because you have a beautiful story of personal choice to be brave and redemption and victory and constantly probably choosing I'm guessing bravery every single day for you. And so I've been so inspired by you Rebecca. I had no idea that this was your journey. Obviously, I think social media is good for reconnecting people and just absolutely seeing what people have been through, but I didn't know this part of your story and I appreciate your boldness just on social media for cuz that's so brave to even talk about it. So for this episode I just want this to be about you and you sharing what you're comfortable with, what you feel like, you know, God is asking you to tell as part of your story to help inspire other people and just what that means to you to be a brave mom in your family.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me first and foremost. um, What an opportunity to share my story. And I feel like the reason that I do share is hopefully to help other moms, other parents, other in in all capacities, whether it be if they're struggling with alcohol or some type of addiction, or if they have a family member or a loved one or a friend that is also struggling with it, because it's a battle for like the whole family or for the, the community, I feel like that you're surrounded with. So thank you for the opportunity to let me share that. I guess, kind of to back up and give you a little background of where where I was from and came from and all of that is I lived in Frankfort, Kentucky. I, as a child, I'm an only child. And um, I would say that I had a pretty uneventful life. Like everything just kind of went, everything for me until I was 35 just seemed to fall into place. And know that, that's not a lot of people's stories at all. Um. I wasn't met with very much adversity. I will say just as a background that my dad did drink when I was a child. He would come home, have a couple of drinks, and then that was it. But it did change his mentality. It made him a little bit more serious. And that is something that I was always aware of when I was a child. And um, I always said, I'm not going to be a, a serious drinker like my dad. I'm going to be a fun, outgoing, if I drink and, you know, I'm going to be the life of the party, et cetera. Um, but I will say that we are shaped, I feel like, or at least I was a, in a very early age of what it was like to be around a very high functioning alcoholic, I guess you could say. My mom um, was very much a perfectionist and wanted everything done in a certain way. And so I was always, I was taught at a very young age to be a people pleaser. And I loved my parents. They were great parents. And since my battles with alcohol and struggles, they have been there next to me every single step of the way. So I am so thankful and grateful for that. And my dad has since quit drinking as well. But with all that being said, as I grew I was always striving for something else. It was always like that one, the next thing. I would always, you know, I would kind of get something and be like, okay, so what's next? And as I got into college, you know, I know we were sorority sisters together, you know, I was president and then I got out and got the big job at Pfizer and then starting having kids. And what I didn't realize that whole entire time is that it was all compiling on each other. And it was a lot more difficult to be that perfect mom, wife, business owner that I was at the time as I had more and more children. And I think so many moms struggle with that and fathers for that matter is that, you know, we're at this certain place in our life and we've got it all under control and everything seems to be ticking just right. But then all of a sudden for me, things got off whack, I guess is the best way of putting it. And I didn't notice it. I didn't realize. It. And I slowly began when I was, um, I drank starting in high school, throughout my 20s, into my 30s. But I would say that it probably never had become a problem for me until I started relying on it to make things go away in my life or to smooth things over in my life. At the time I was 35, I owned my own business, which is a uh, maternity and children's clothing store. I had three kids. My husband was on call. My husband at the time was on call for his job. And so I was, I was charged with running the show. And at a certain point, it just got to be too much. And we started having struggles in our marriage. And I blamed everything on that. I never really came back to the alcohol. I never really came back to the Adderall that I was taking to keep me functioning at a level that I could maintain all of the responsibilities that I had. And, you know, I was on anxiety medicine. It was just this, what, what can I say? Like, it was the only thing keeping me going and ticking. And at a certain point, it was the perfect storm when it all came together. And so what caught my attention was on the morning of November 17th, I woke up and my now ex-husband came at our front door with two of my dear friends, his brother and sister-in-law, along with an interventionist And They had an intervention for me that morning. Um, I was shocked, completely taken aback, was not ready. These were all people that I drank with. Dear friend, I had been to a football game and we had just drank the week before. I was very, very surprised. I was mad. I was really, really mad. And, you know, I know that you talk about God in your series in the book of Joshua and like at this point, I was starting to feel lost without God because I was really frustrated, and I had grown up in the church, always going to church, youth group, etc, read my devotional daily throughout college. I had a firm foundation in faith, but it was somewhere along that time frame that i was I was like, "Why does this keep happening? I was a blamer, you know, like why is this happening to me? I used to be able to pull it all together and do it and maintain it. And I can't now, and I can't, I could not control my marriage. And that was when I first learned to have to, that I couldn't control anything in my life. And I quickly found that out after going to rehab and which I did accept a rehab. I went to Hazelden Betty Ford in Minnesota, which was probably the very best decision that I ever made However, when I came home, post-intervention, post-rehab, I had pigeonholed myself as an alcoholic. That is when the divorce started to get really, really ugly. And at that point, that is when my drinking really kicked in. I stayed sober for six or eight months at that particular time. I won't go into all the the details that we spent a lot of time in court. Getting divorced to the judge. I was an alcoholic mom that didn't take care of her children. And it was very, it was a struggle from day one with that judge. And, you know, I can sit here and blame and point fingers and say she didn't know what was going on in my life. But this was exactly how my story was supposed to go. This is the way God intended it. This is how He taught me. And to learn from my struggles. And, you know, looking back on it now, I wasn't alone. He, she, it, higher power, whatever you want to call it, was with me, thank, thank God, the whole time. But during that time, I felt very alone. I was very afraid. And that high functioning, positive, outgoing, brave, could do anything, mom and mother and daughter and wife. I lost her, completely. It was the darkest. The next three years, three to four years, were very long and very dark. And that's when I had started my my battle with quitting drinking. But at the same time, I continued to drink, and that is when the real struggles with alcohol started to happen, and um, it got really bad.
0: Okay, first of all, thank you for sharing all that with us. I know that that. Can't be easy. Now, I know that you have felt called to share this, so I do appreciate that. I want to back up real quick. That November 17th date, what year was that? That was 2014. Okay, so seven years ago. On that time in 2014, you didn't think you had a problem. You just knew you were like highly stressed out and had a lot of stuff piling on you and- your friends and family come to you with this intervention, and ultimately you end up in rehab. But did you think you needed this when they came to you? I know you said you were angry and mad. Did any part of you think you needed that? I did not think I needed it.
1: A funny story, very quickly, is once I got to rehab, all of the nurses, all of the doctors kept asking me that Do you think that you need to be here? And my response was, Well, if I say I need to be here, then I need to be here. If I say I don't need to be here, then I definitely need to be here. So there was no right or wrong answer. or There was no correct answer to that question, I guess, is the best way of putting it. But I was very intrigued, I guess you could say, at the time by how many of the staff continued to ask me that.
0: So do you, how, I mean, that had to take so much courage for you to have that conversation with all these people, accept it and go. So what, since we're talking about bravery here and courage and every part of your journey and anyone's journey, whether they're going through addiction or anything else is all about step after step, choosing that over and over, which in the book of Joshua, God commands him, you have to be strong and courageous, but he reminds him over and over and over because he knows it's not going to be easy. So what would you say like that step was, how old were your children at the time?
1: My children were seven, five and three. They were little.
0: Yeah. And okay. So very little. So you're in the trenches of that young motherhood anyway. So tell us about that choice for you to say yes. Yes. I I will do this.
1: That choice for me was very spur of the moment. Um, as you can imagine, like that was the most impactful day of my life. The day of November 17th, 2014. I still think about it every single year. I can I commence that moment. I recognize that I'm always very aware of it leading up to it and behind it, I guess is the best way of putting it. But I was so overwhelmed in my life and what my program of Alcoholics Anonymous that I choose to do is my life. They describe it as unmanageable and my life was completely unmanageable at that point. I was falling behind on my bills at work, bills at home. Um, There were so many things that had compounded. So when, when this question was posed to me and I knew what was coming, I mean, it was exactly like the television show. Um, All of, the friends and family members went around and read letters. I was stone cold sober. Not one tear was shed. I I felt nothing. I was completely numb. So when it was proposed to me, do you want to go? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. I will absolutely go and take a 30 day break from what I cannot juggle right now. And they were all shocked. What I didn't know was that that morning... Prior to the intervention, my ex husband had filed for divorce. That was going to be my parting gift if I didn't go to rehab. I didn't know that, though, until I got back from rehab, that he had filed that morning. So they were all shocked that I was like, I'll go because none of them thought I would actually go. It didn't hit me. This was about 11 o'clock. By two o'clock in the afternoon, that day of the intervention, I was on an airplane out of Cincinnati. To Minnesota like my bags had already been packed, everything was ready to go on the way to the airport um, because I was being chaperoned I it hit me and I called my parents and I just lost it and I thank God that that girl in that car driving to the airport didn't know what her life was about to be like for the next seven years. If I had to do it all over again I would be terrified right now. And that's why I don't drink today, but it was very, it was, it was very challenging. It was, um, the biggest day of my life, I guess you could say over everything because it has changed the direction of my life today for the better. But thank God I did go because there at rehab, they taught me how to control anger anger management or they, they started giving me the tools of what was about to happen to me. And what happens to so many alcoholics and so many people that are addicted is if you have gone to rehab and you are sitting in one of those chairs, it's gotten pretty bad with your family. Either you have made the choice to go yourself or someone has encouraged you to go. People don't just like willingly say, oh, I drink a couple of drinks of wine a day and say, oh, I should probably go to rehab. That doesn't happen. Things had gotten pretty bad. So. As far as brave, I don't feel like I can call myself brave that day, Um, I, even though I guess maybe I was, but that was a total for me, just following like my intuition and what I thought was best that day, which is listening to my heart. And that was God telling me, you need to exit this plan. You need to get out of this situation in hopes that it was to take care of Rebecca, that was the first time in my life that I ever was like, "I have to put Rebecca first. I'm getting ready to lose my shit. like I can't juggle and manage, and I have three little human beings that are relying on me, and I can barely take care of myself right now. So I guess from that standpoint, I was being brave, but it was um it was not feeling like it that day.
0: I can understand that in the moment, even imagine what is happening to you. And then I can think that you probably felt like a robot, almost just going through the motions of what you knew you probably had to do. And like you said, when you were in the car and it all hit you, I, oh, um, so when you get to Minnesota, that was the first step. So do they prepare you for, I'm sure they do, but like, did you feel like you knew things were going to be worse when you got back so that you felt like you had tools to take back with you. And you don't have to go through all these pieces because I know it was, you already said it was one of the darkest times. We don't need to go back to that. But I'm just wondering for people listening to understand our friends who have gone through this or are there right now, or maybe there one day. What was that like coming back for you? after you had been away for 30 days? What would you want to tell someone that we should be aware of? If that, if that's the right question. Okay. Um, Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Oh,
1: for sure. I was terrified to come back and
0: let me, I'll back
1: up really quick <laughs> because once you get to rehab, what they don't, no one prepares you for what's going to happen when you get to rehab. Nobody prepares you for all of the diagnostics and the sit-downs and the one-on-ones, they definitely don't prepare you for the security bracelet that they put on your ankle when you get there and you feel like you're going in jail. That's, you know, for the extensive case that the, the person is trying to get out. It didn't hit me of where I was and what was going on necessarily until the morning I woke up and had slept one night at rehab. And I remember looking out I was next to this huge window, sitting in bed and looking out. It was the most beautiful Minnesota sky. It had just snowed. It was utterly gorgeous and tears. I was eating scrambled eggs or trying to, and tears just started running down my face because I was like, what just happened? How did this just happen to me? How did this happen to Rebecca? Like, this doesn't happen. This is not how things go for me. And, um, I was crying and the girl in the bed next to me on the other side of the curtain was like, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And, you know, it was just really tough getting to that point. And I didn't have any pictures of my kids. That was the one thing that hadn't gotten packed. Of course, the very first thing that they do is take your cell phone away from you. I will say moving forward throughout the month, it did Definitely helped me to grow as far as I was in the absolute healthiest place that I could possibly be in. No soda, home cooked meals. At Hazelden, every single staff member that works in the facility is a recovering alcoholic or addict. They all understand what you're going through and they all know the transformation that can happen. And thankfully i took advantage of that i went into it with a very open mind that was a god thing for sure the fact that i didn't go up there and sit with my hands crossed my arms crossed across me for the next 28 days and sit there and listen and not say anything even still at that point rebecca was able to take a leadership role and be the group leader of the of her group you know it was still but it It's funny now, like looking back on that, but it was still a show for Rebecca. It was still the Rebecca show. It was still, how can I be a leader and function and bring everybody together? It wasn't until a couple of years, even a year down the road, that was really the darkest time is when I got back from rehab and my reality started to sit in because the other question that you asked, I was terrified to go home you know, people that own boutiques and have three kids in elementary school and us moms that, you know, do whatever and go drink wine with their friends. They don't just disappear for 30 days at a time. They don't just not answer their phone for 30 days. I had customers coming in the store like, where's Rebecca? It was right before Christmas, the busiest holiday season or the busiest time of the year for a boutique. And I felt like my feet had been completely kicked right out from underneath of me as I was coming home. I didn't know what to expect. Keep in mind I didn't, I still didn't know that I was going to get divorced at this particular time. And my ex-husband at the time and my dad both came. I I know I mentioned earlier that my dad has not drank anymore. They came for what's called the family weekend. Once my dad left the family weekend, he never drank again. So that was like such a blessing in and of itself that I think he finally realized because how cool Hazelden is, is they bring in other alcoholics to talk to all of the family members. When your family member is there, you don't participate, but they bring in the alcoholics so that the parents and family can start to begin to understand what we feel like. And the struggles that we're going through. And it's not just as easy as just don't drink again or don't drink more than two drinks. Like this is a medical condition that goes on and is genetically passed down and it touches some of us and it doesn't touch others. But there are definitely components behind this that can make a precursor to you being an alcoholic. So that was such a huge blessing that my dad stopped drinking at that time. My ex-husband, when he came, um, a lot of things have to go into place upon being discharged. He didn't want me to be discharged. He thought, you know, like it would be beneficial for me to stay another 30 days or however long and go to a halfway house. I was so ready. Like I had been literally counting down the days. I had a calendar next to my bed that I would like X off How many days? And it wasn't because I didn't want to be there. I wanted to see my kids. I wanted to see my babies. I had never been more than a few days, like, you know, without my children, you know, a a trip to San Francisco or whatever it was, you know. So there was nothing keeping me at Hazelden. Yes, it was a great experience. And I would love to go back today, honestly, and participate in some of the activities that they have going on up there in the workshops. But I didn't want to stay then. So upon discharge, I, You know, you, you put, if you have someone in your family that goes to rehab, you have to all, you have to expect for them to do a lot of changing during that period of time. And 30 days is just such a small, small amount of window of time for that change to begin to happen. When I came back, I wanted to get a small apartment and be by myself. And for my ex-husband, that wasn't an option. I wanted to keep growing. I wanted to keep learning. Like, What was the whole point of me going to this place and start learning these new coping mechanisms and then come back into the exact same situation that I was in prior to with all of the exact same stressors plus more now that I've been gone for 30 days. And I don't know what the hell people are going to think about that because of course I was concerned about me. It was all about me. Everybody was going to miss Rebecca. No, they weren't there were a few close friends and stuff like now i know that people are really um focused on what's going on in their lives it didn't matter what was going on in mine coming back if i was coming back from a rehab now i would handle it completely differently than i did at that particular time but it was new and i didn't know what to expect so yes i would say that I was very brave to come back and then to be slapped with the divorce, to find out, um, followed with all of that was child services got involved multiple times. Um, There are many stories that I could go into as to how and why things happened the way they did. But at the end of the day, you're talking about a stressed out mom that went to rehab that never had anything on her record, not even a DUI, PI, nothing And then all of a sudden, gets her children taken away from her for willingly going to rehab, and that was the start of the real battle, I would say, that happened over the the course of the dark period of the next two or three years, because my kids were being dangled in front of me like carrots. If you do this, you get to see them. If you do this, you get to go to your parents and has supervised visitation with your parents on your at your parents' house on a Friday night. If you do this then you get to have your kids supervise visit you for two hours on Tuesdays and Thursdays afternoon with a babysitter watching you. It was absurd, Jennifer, like what I was put through because I solely decided to go to rehab. And that deemed me as an alcoholic.
0: Oh my gosh. Um, so one thing that stuck out to me when I was trying to imagine what you would need when you came back was you said you know I knew I probably should be there longer to learn all the tools and everything but I miss my babies I had to see my babies so much of being a mother already is we naturally can't put ourselves first i mean we should put ourselves first but we just don't because we're doing everything for them and it it could be anything our working out schedule eating not just eating our kids' crust, but <laughs> giving ourselves yeah, food, Absolutely. Right? <laughs> you know, but like, oh my gosh, that part just really punched me in the gut when you said that because like, I, I could totally cry thinking, oh, it makes me get choked up thinking of your babies at home and they not, they're not knowing what's going on and you... Like they just want mommy home too, because they don't see all that. And if they saw it, kids are so forgiving. Like they don't care. They just wanted you. And then to come home to that, that's such an element that I don't think, gosh, when we look at moms battling anything, an addiction or any kind of personal emotional thing is this constant pool between knowing we should take care of ourselves, but taking care of our, our children and, and just that everyday battle of where you place yourself. So I, I can see why you wanted an apartment by yourself. Like, I think that's, even though that didn't go the way you wanted for that, but like, what a, a smart thought there of, I, I know I need to do this, but I got to go here and there. And, you know, you always see like, take care of your friends, make sure you're, you reach out to your mom friends, make sure they're okay with their kids. Mm-hmm. But this is such a, is making me think more of that is, helping our friends and family with their, their children, no matter what age, because you, you can hardly take care of yourself sometimes. Exactly. And like, I just didn't see it happening. And that is why I'm such a huge
1: advocate of mental care and self-care for women. And like, you know, some people think it's, you know, ridiculous to do that or to take two hours on your Sunday afternoon. Well, I don't have time for that. You have to make time. I was losing myself. I, myself was gone completely out of the picture before I went to rehab. And, you know, again, this is just my story. There is no right or wrong about how this story went down and there is no one to blame. If there's anyone to blame, then it's myself because I didn't see that happening. Though, you know, like we as young women are not trained to do that. We're trained to take on more and more and more tasks. And then you have these kids and we're strong and young and we want to have a career and we want to make a difference. And then when you start having babies, but, oh, you're supposed to make a huge difference and be a caretaker and a mother and teach these other human beings how to do this stuff that you're doing too. And we women get lost. And that's why it's so hard to find such a, a balance between being a mom and having a career. And I really feel, and i tried, I did the part-time mom gig of work for a period of time. And that honestly was the worst because then I, I took on all home responsibilities, all work responsibilities. They both compounded on top of each other. And I didn't know where to draw the line and get help from a housekeeper or my parents to pick them up from school. I was trying to do it all. So that was a real bad idea at that particular time. But yeah, I would say that once I got to rehab that night, one of the hardest things that I ever had to hear was I called my husband at the time to let him know I got settled and everything. And I hadn't got to say goodbye to the kids. They were all at school. And so I was like, what are, what did you tell the children? Like, what, where is your mommy? Like, how did you, what are you going to say to them? And he was like, I don't know. I haven't thought about that yet. And I'm like, I was floored. I was crushed. I was broken inside because you hire an eventualist, You have all of these letters and bags packed and airplane tickets bought. And you don't think about what you're going to tell the three most important things in our life. So there was that coming back as well it was a real struggle. That was a real struggle. But you know, again, it shaped me into who I am today, too.
0: I don't we don't need to go through the whole time period. And I would love to have like, like, we could have a three hour interview here. And this would be really fun. Um, Maybe we'll have to do a follow up episode. But tell us what finally like, what was November seventeenth, two 2014 was such a significant date for you. And then as you look back, What was another significant moment or circumstance where you knew you had to say yes to God to take on this battle and finally become who God had created Rebecca to be, even with all these parts having to happen to get you to who He knew you were fully made to be? What else happened that made you say, Yes, okay, I'm breaking through to the other side? Here I come, Lord, get me through. Absolutely. So the next And
1: probably more, way more significant date to me today um, is my sobriety date of July 29th, 2018. And that is the day that I made the decision of, I got to do this. It wasn't the first day that I made the decision that I've got to get sober. Um, There were a handful of those in between. But that's the day, you know, at the time, I didn't know, am I going to be able to do this? I didn't know if I was going to be able to follow through, but there were so many things that had happened leading up to that moment. And very briefly, you know, I mentioned like the CPS getting involved. I mentioned, you know, the children and the supervised visitations. What I didn't mention was my struggles with drinking that I got to the point that I would start drinking in the morning. I was working a, I was a manager, a catering manager, at a restaurant during a chunk of that time for two to three years. And the, the lifestyle just was not conducive. Her, absolute, actually, let me rephrase that. It was 100% conducive for an alcoholic because you went in, you worked your tail off, everybody got off at the same time. You went and hit the local bar or whatever was going on that night. And then, you know, at this point I had been divorced. So part of the time the kids with were with their dad So I didn't necessarily have a responsibility to go home to. And then you don't wake up till 11 o'clock. You do it all over again the next day. That is when my life got really, really tricky of getting my kids back. I got all these things back. You know, I got a new place to live after the divorce. I got my kids back. I got them settled. They were in school. I got the family, got the job back. Making cash, making money, I had disposable liquid cash all of the time, so it, it made it very easy to hit the liquor store every one that I passed. I guess you could say. But then I took, I changed jobs, and I went into a new job that was the one of the worst decisions of my life. That is when I started drinking during the day, and that is when I started drinking at work because I couldn't deal with like this. That was my go-to. That was my Anna, like. I don't like what's going on. I'm just going to drink. That's just going to make it go away. And if once that wears off, I'll drink a little bit more and think about how scary that was at that particular moment. And keep in mind, I had never done this prior to that, but I would be lying right now if I didn't say I wasn't driving my kids around. I was drinking and I may not have been actively drinking right at that moment, but there's no way I should have been driving my kids at that point. I did during that time end up having an accident. It was just like a popped tire. Thank God it wasn't as severe. There were, um, the kids were late to school. I didn't feel well. I was never involved with them during that darker time, I would say, um, as far as like playing games or doing homework, you know, those things that parents do is like, you actively hang out with your children. I was just there. I was a being, I had lost so much at that point, pretty much everything, my business, my home, the place that I called home, my marriage, I was, I was depressed. I would say I was then in another job that I thought that was supposed to be like this golden job where I just worked during the days and it was awful. That didn't work out for me. And then A very, very dear, almost best friend died of cancer, and it just sent me over the edge. And it wasn't, it was a few months after that, that I was drinking so much that I admitted myself to the hospital. I spent a night in the ER and six days in the ICU because they were so afraid that I was going to have a seizure because I had been drinking so much. Now you would think once I got out of there, I would quit drinking. But I didn't still. I stayed sober for I would say three or four months. This was leading up that was I would say like a February March time frame. This was leading up to the July twenty ninth date of me officially being sober. I stayed sober for three or four months at that time. And then when I one day out of nowhere, it would be like every single time I started getting things back and my life started getting quote unquote normal again. That's when I would be like, oh, well, just one beer wouldn't hurt, or one glass of wine. I can do this. And that's why it gets, so many alcoholics get in such trouble with that. And that's why we just can't drink that first drink. Yes, the one or the two isn't necessarily going to do or hurt anything at the time, but it's going to lead to more drinking. So it, that is why alcoholics just don't have that option. And that's so hard for someone to understand that is a non, or that drinks, but doesn't have an addiction to alcohol. In order for me to stay sober today, I just can't do it. Not even that one or two over dinner with the girlfriends. So because it leads to things like this, I had been um, experimenting with that uh, in the evenings after work or whatever. And then one day out of the blue that summer, I decided I need to clean my house I think I'll go buy a pint of bourbon. That'll give me like just enough energy and get up and go. And it'll make me happy that cleaning the house won't be that big of a task. Well, at that point, I would say mid-June, um, the, one, the one little pint turned into, then I started buying two pints, turned into, oh, excuse me. They, they were half pints, started into two half pints. Then all of a sudden I was buying pints, and you can see where this was going. And that day in July, the ex had caught wind that I was drinking again leading up to that day in July. And I knew that if I didn't do something right then, if I didn't take care of myself, if I if I did not take care of myself in order to help my kids, I was going to lose my children for good. And so that is why the decision on July ninth. 2018, I said I was done, and it was a couple days later that I literally, you know, I had remained sober. I admitted myself back into outpatient rehab, which is where you go like two or three hours, three or four days a week. Um, You're with a group of people. I did that, and I was able to stay sober for a couple of days, and I specifically remember going to an AA meeting that night, and I was just distraught because I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could stop drinking for good. And um, <laughs> a wise old, old timer that we call um told me to get down, lay flat on the ground. And when I got home and pray and ask God to help me. And that is exactly what I did. I went home, laid face down, angel position, put my hands together. And I was like, Please, God, give me the strength to stop drinking so that I can be the mother that my kids deserve. And the partner and the daughter and, um, the, and the Rebecca. And I was so broken, Jennifer, at that point. Like I had lost all confidence in myself and who I was. Um, but there must have been some tiny little glimmer of hope in there, which is why I'm such an advocate on hope, giving people hope now, is that without that, we've got nothing. And it's in those moments that, you know, if you get to that point of depression, you know, you've got to keep that hope. And that's where family members and the strength of others and friends can make such a difference in an alcoholic's life. There's a fine line of being someone that is making it worse, and there's a fine line of helping an alcoholic and that's why you have to um find that as a friend and sometimes friends have to be cut off for a period of time, but even when you do that, you can still let them know that you're there. you're just not supporting them monetarily or however else that might be. But without that hope, we still have nothing.
0: Rebecca, I'm so proud of you. I'm so inspired by you. And (laughs) I I mean, could you have hit rock bottom any more? I'm sure is what you felt like. But like, as you share, I'm inspired by your perseverance, your personal choice to, because you just said the last time you went yourself, right? Like you just- Right right before you knew you might lose the kids. But a couple things that stood out to me as a friend thinking if I ever have to watch someone go through this is you kept saying the words, things were compounding over one another that mm-hmm. just being aware of watching that in a friend, if, if things are getting just piling up. And then the other thing that stuck out to me was you said the hardest part and we're Maybe it felt that you didn't say this, but to me it sounded like, like the most slippery to you was when things got back to normal. Because absolutely, you felt like, well, it's normal, so can I just live life like I used to? And I think coming from someone on the total outside here, I might think the same for you. Well, your life looks great you you look happy with your kids, you have your yep. job, your house is you're decorating it cute, whatever, <laughs> like you look normal to me. Yay. Okay. I don't need to pay attention to you as much and, and notice those little things. Right. So those were really helpful as a friend and someone listening to your story. Thank you for sharing that part.
1: Absolutely. That is definitely the most tricky point. And that is why so many people relapse is because they start getting things back and life feels like what it used to be like, but you can handle it and you can juggle it. Um, but unfortunately, that is for an alcoholic not typically how it works. So, wh- oh, sorry. The more times you re- re- uh, the more times you relapse, it seems like the worse it gets every time. The relapse is worse mm. every time you do it again.
0: So, one thing you said was there's a fine line of people helping or making it worse. What? Mm -hmm. looking back, when you think back to when those things were normal, like your life looked normal, what would be your advice you'd give someone of what they could have done for you? And I don't know if there's a right answer because it may have been different in each situation, but what do you feel like someone could have done for you to maybe keep you from falling down?
1: That is such a hard question. Um, because At the end of the day, stopping drinking is a personal decision that you have to make for yourself. And it's not a decision that anybody else, you can want it for me all day long. As my best friend, Jennifer, you could be like, gosh, I just see this and you see what a person you could be. And That was a lot of what people said before I went to rehab is you used to do this or you were doing this or my friend is gone. And I think those are all very common things that you notice it as a friend and you can see it from a mile away. But what do you do about it? And the only time that anyone I I did have my friends come to me one time prior to the intervention, I would not recommend an intervention for anybody. Um, That's just my personal how I feel personally. I do absolutely and 100% recommending you going and talking to someone that you're concerned with. And I did have a handful of people do that to me after the intervention when I would pick up drinking again. I hold those people near and dear to my heart because they recognized it. And I just knew that they were there and willing to help, but they didn't pressure anything. I've always been one of those people. You tell me to do something, I'm going to do just the opposite. Um, don't corner me, don't pigeonhole me. And most alcoholics are exactly the same way. The more you tell them not to do something, the more that they are going to do it. So I think just letting a friend or a family member know that you're concerned, that you you recognize that they're acting differently or they're um, doing things differently or maybe drinking a little bit more. It, you don't have to like sugarcoat it. And I think that's the most important thing is go directly to this person and be like, hey, I love you. And I'm concerned for you because you're just not acting yourself. And, you know, you're not showing up on time or this or that. There's so many red flags, but like, I care about you and I want to know what I can do to help. Is there anything that I can do to help in this situation? Do we need to go have a girl's day? And I think. It Kind of leads into more of an opportunity to then say to them, you know, like, what's different? What's going on? People don't drink just to drink. I didn't pick up a fifth of whiskey and drink it because it tasted good. I picked up that bottle of whiskey because there was a lot of shit going on in my life that I was really unhappy about. And I didn't know how to manage it. I didn't know how to manage, you know, my my marriage falling apart. I didn't know how to manage the fact that my business was overwhelmed and I was behind on bills. I didn't know how to manage the fact that my body was craving alcohol and I couldn't not drink because it does get to that point at a certain point. And God forbid that that happened to people. But I physically at a certain point of my drinking career could not stop drinking. It would wake me up in the middle of the night. And this is fairly common for alcoholics and addicts. So, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly say go to a friend, help them, ask them how you can help, but you have to be able to accept the fact too that they might just not be ready to quit at that particular time. And, you know, if you can help with their kids, if you can just be there to support them, that goes a long way. And that is honestly really all you can do.
0: One thing you, you that was such a beautiful part of your story is when you got down, laid down and just cried out to the Lord. And you said that you had a tiny glimmer of hope. Like you knew you had hope, which is no coincidence that those are three of the virtues that God says you have to have faith, love, and hope, right? And I would guess that as you look back, the friends that have stuck by you or or at least had an impact for you over the years would be friends and family that also gave you hope that probably... Absolutely. Showed you hope in in all of it.
1: Yes, and it was very surprising um who those people were that I never would have imagined. People that stood by me and just checked in on me and didn't give up on me because it's also a very um oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh you feel I was so embarrassed and I felt guilty. And I was ashamed of who I was. And I was ashamed that I was having to rely on alcohol. Um, I just didn't feel good about myself when I was drinking. And I knew that I wasn't performing at a level that I had in the past. And I knew I wasn't being that friend. And, and some of my dear friends didn't know what to do with that. Some of them still don't know what to do with that. And so a lot of people just don't come around. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. And then on the flip side, there were other people that like one of my cousins, a friend from college that I knew, but wasn't like a dear friend in college. I can rattle off people in my brain right now that just checked in on me and said, I love you and I support you. And I'm here if you need anything at all. Those were the friends that. I probably wouldn't have considered them the closest prior to that, but I have a very special relation. I might not talk to them all the time now, but it's a very unique relationship that I have with those people now. And they know it. They know who
0: they are. That's awesome, Rebecca. I, I'm i just learning so much from talking to you, just how to, how to just be a good friend to any of our friends in need who are mm-hmm. having struggles. It's so easy to get caught up in our own lives and not pay attention to the struggles that are going on there. Everybody is fighting a demon of some sort, whether it seems big or small or whatever. And there's so much we can do as friends to help give them that hope. I think that's such a beautiful theme that you have brought to light here. How do you think this, your experience and your example all the good all the bad and the good and the overcoming and the scary parts and everything how has this changed the future of your own family because you were able to be courageous and brave
1: not only did it change the tra- trajectory of my life and who i am but i would say in a bigger grand scheme of things it has completely changed my family and the the person that they can all rely on, whether they call her mother, daughter, friend, partner, it has made me parent completely differently. I am so open with my children today. Um, They know I'm an alcoholic. They know everything about my struggles. They were very aware of it. Um, You know, like I have my Instagram account, shit kickers and hiccups that my kids follow and they see, they see the good, the bad. Um, it makes me proud that they aren't embarrassed about it. They, they like it. They share. Sometimes they're proud of their mom today. I think they see the struggles that I went through. And I am so blessed to say that I'm on a different side of that alcoholism today by the grace of God. There was definitely a certain point that I couldn't say that or I wasn't sure about saying that. And you know, I've only got today. I wake up every morning, get down on my knees and pray, ask God to keep the alcohol away for me to help another person to be a good servant. And I do that every day. And I, I, I can't count on the fact that I'm not going to drink tomorrow. I'll worry about that then because it's too big to think of forever of not drinking. It's too big to think of next month of not drinking or the holiday party or New Year's Eve that's coming up. How could I not drink? I don't have to worry about that today. I only worry about today and getting through today. And today, I don't worry about that anymore. You know, three and a half years sober, but it took my my family, my kids. It took them a solid year, if not longer, until I got my one-year sobriety chip. It took them a long time to trust me. It took my mom and dad a long time to trust me. And they were with me the whole time. And I have to accept that. I have to accept the fact that they are going to come around on their own terms. And I can't speed that up. So it wasn't even not too long ago that my daughter kind of looked at me and she asked for a drink of my drink and it was a power drink. And it, she, the way she asked me, I looked at her after she took a sip of it. And I'm almost like, did you think I was drinking? And she was like, well, at first I just wanted to t- see what it tasted like. But she was like, yeah, it did kind of cross my mind. And so I have to accept that. I can't let that make me mad or upset or like today I am okay with that. That she, she, you know, I showed her all these bad traits. Today I'm showing her all these good traits, but you know, she's still up there too. Like maybe that can change at any given point because she knows that if mommy isn't doing well and mommy isn't taking care of herself mentally, physically, emotionally, that it's gonna change the whole trajectory of their lives as well for everyone in our household. So I'm very close with my children today. We have a very unique bond. We talk about drugs, sex, alcohol, you name it. Anything's on the table. Um, I'm open. I'm honest with them. And um, I'm very blessed to have three children that are as strong and independent as they are and aware of drugs and alcohol and making good grades and active. And healthy. And you know what? Kids bounce back a lot faster, quicker, sharper than we give them credit for. Yes, it will take a little bit of time, but um, such a unique relationship with my kids today. And for that, I'm very grateful.
0: Ah, uh, well, I have no doubt your kids are amazing. And I can tell from all your Instagram posts and everything I follow, <laughs> and you know everyone has a story. This is part of their story. It doesn't define mm-hmm. who they are. It, it it empowers them and builds them and creates their the character. And and that's God's story for you guys. He wrote it before we were born, and it's awesome that you are pulling all. The beautiful pieces out of it and, and bringing it to them. You know, it's, it's a chapter. Everyone has chapters that aren't we're not proud of that are dark, but we we can see how God used it to become mm-hmm. who we are. It's so it it, it stinks that <laughs> some people have to go through worse parts. But I, I am. I mean, I said this before. I'm so inspired by you, Rebecca. I'm inspired that you would sit here and open your heart to us and just be able to. Teach us what it means to get through something really hard and really difficult when you feel like there's no way out, and to to teach us about hope and and what it looks like to be on the other side. Um, the the last thing I want to end with, and then you can tell people how to connect with you, is a sticker from our together for family dinner game, and it's from the category things that make me go. So what today or this week made you say, good decision?
1: Good decision. I have been trying, I am a huge procrastinator and I have tried this holiday season to stay on top of everything a little bit more. So I actually did wrap presents over the weekend. We got our Christmas tree up early this year and I have been trying to make sure that the kids have presents under the tree a little bit, day to time. And the best decision is to make sure and move my elf every night to a new position.
0: I love it. And I saw that post when you got your kids <laughs> out to get that Christmas tree late. That was a good decision oh, yeah. to even get them there, make them participate. You said you all ended up having a fun night. That was a cute picture, but I love I it. Did. I love that you're sticking to that plan of getting the things done early. That is not easy at Christmas time for sure. No, it's not. Okay, Rebecca, Um, thank you for giving us so much of your time today. It was such a valuable conversation. And this was so good for me to catch up with you. And I would love for you to share with our listeners how they can connect with you just to follow you, to be inspired by you. And also if they have any questions and they want to reach out to you in confidence, how would they do that?
1: Absolutely. Um, My first method of communication, I guess, would say be through my shit kickers and hiccups Instagram account. You can feel free to DM me, follow along. We do, you know, I'm constantly sharing about recovery and hope of recovery. I am also sharing some of the crazy events of my life um, over in stories and what's going on in our household. You can also find me. At Rebecca Hutchison-Kent on Facebook and really exciting. My website, Shit Kickers and Hiccups is going to be coming out in 2022. I don't have an exact timeline on that, but um, hope you will follow along on Instagram and that update will be made there.
0: Yay. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I'll, I will link all that in the show notes. And then also in January, you let me know when that website is live and I will be sure to share that and share back to this episode. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. I really appreciate
1: the opportunity. Share some hope.
0: Oh, absolutely. Thank you, friend and sister. (laughs) All right. Pie Um, love. Pie love, girl. Love it.